as we continue our series on God questions. You know, one of the questions that people have, and one of the questions that was proposed as we uh, looked at what we were going to do in this series, one of the questions that was offered to us was, uh, what about government? What about politics? Uh, you know, there has really been a uh, full circle that we have run in some sense as far as politics and the church. Uh, back in the uh, 80s, we formed moral majorities, and we uh, really believed, it seemed, that we were going to usher in the salvation of our country through political action committees and through elections. And if we just elected the right people, everything was going to be okay. And then we, we, we kind of got burned on that a few times, didn't we? Uh, there were folks that we elected who we thought were going to do certain things, and they just didn't do it. Surprise, surprise, when a politician is elected and doesn't do what he says or what she says she's going to do, right? It uh, just shocked us all, didn't it? And so we became discouraged, and, and we uh, uh, began to detach ourselves somewhat. And those, some of those, many of those political action committees just faded away and went by the wayside. And we've kind of come to a place now where a great many people in the church believe that we just should have nothing to do with politics at all. Uh, that we're, we're so heavenly minded that we're about the kingdom of God and no other kingdom, right? And we, we just need to, to live and, 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 and huddle down in our churches and love one another and pray real hard and just, just let everything be as it's going to be. But I want to challenge you this morning that the political system that we live under greatly impacts our life. Those people who are in governance over us greatly impacts our life. And the political system that we live in greatly impacts our life. And in no time in history and in no place on earth has more opportunity and responsibility been given to the church of Jesus Christ to affect that political system in which they operate and live. And let me tell you, if you need proof of this and just how much your government actually affects your life, just consider this. If you live in a communist country and you have two cows, the government takes both of them and gives you part of the milk. If you live in a socialist country, you have two cows and the government takes one and gives the other to your neighbor. If you live in a fascist country, you have two cows, the government takes both cows and sells you the milk. And if you live under capitalism, you have two cows, you sell one of them and buy a bull. Now, you see... There is opportunity won and lost depending on what kind of government that you live under. Uh, and we as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to understand we have an opportunity and a responsibility to affect our environment in this sense. And we should. And we're going to see that this morning. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Plato said the penalty that good men have for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men. And in this case, in our day, men and women worse than themselves. I think that's true, don't you? See, what, what I think we're going to see as we walk through this passage of Scripture in just a few moments is that because of the fact that we have detached and we have stepped back and we have failed to be salt and light in this arena, the, the arena of politics, and we've been afraid to talk about politics and be involved in politics as the church, and I mean in the right ways, we have failed to do that. And because of that, we are now being governed by people who are not so great, people who are worse than ourselves. If we have any opportunity to affect the political system under which we live, we owe it to the nation, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to our children as a matter 
of moral conscience to do so in a way which honors Christ and loves our fellow man. But if we have an opportunity to affect the political system in which we live, we have a moral responsibility as believers in Christ to do so. We have a moral responsibility. I want you to hear that. I want you to see that in a moment as we go through this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5. We have a moral responsibility to do just that. Now, some people will say at this point, well, what about separation of church and state, Pastor? Some folks have this idea of separation of church and state as though it is in the Scriptures. And it is in First Hallucinations, right? First Hallucinations chapter 3, verse 12, there shall be separation of church and state. And let me tell you, that's what it is, a hallucination of some very well-meaning people. Let me read for you just a couple of quotes from our founding fathers to give you an idea of what they thought when this nation was established. John Adams said, It is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. The only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. Benjamin Franklin, at the Constitutional uh, Convention to, to form and to write a constitution, said these words, I therefore beg leave to move, that is really strange language for us today, but he's saying, I implore you, I ask you, I beg of you, that henceforth prayers uh, for the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in the assembly every morning before we proceed to business, and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. George Washington said, while just government protects all in their religious rights, true religion affords, and true religion in this case, he of course meant Christianity, affords to government its surest support. This country was founded upon the idea that government should stay out of religion and that religion is an indispensable necessity for the success of government. The wall of separation was intended to go one direction only. It was intended to go one direction so that government would never establish a national church or infringe upon the rights of the free exercise of religion by anyone. But faith, and specifically the Christian faith, was seen as an absolutely indispensable foundation upon which this nation would stand. And traditionally, we have Baptists, as Baptists have agreed with that. In the Baptist faith and message, you'll read, and this is just a confession of faith that we have as a people. Most people don't even know we have one of those, but we do. And in our confession of faith, we say every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. We are called to be salt and light. Now, ultimately, that has its most perfect, uh, if, if we look at this passage of Scripture and we're doing exegesis and we're picking it apart to really understand what it means, it has its most perfect application in the spreading of the gospel of Christ, absolutely. But as we are salt and light on this earth, in the arena of politics, we must be apart. We must be a part of the solutions. We must be a part of the conversations. We must be a part of the governance of both ourselves and those around us. Now, when we look at this and we see that Jesus is saying here that you are the salt of the earth, 
Salt in that day and time was a preservative, can still be that today. Nowadays, we have things that you can't pronounce, which are better preservatives, they say, right? So we don't necessarily use salt for that. But in this day and time, salt was a primary preservative. It was something that gave taste to food as well. It was used in the ancient world to keep things fresh and useful. Light, of course, as it is today to us, illuminates. It dispels the darkness and guides us and directs us towards what is true. And we need to understand these two terms and these metaphors that Jesus is using here to understand that the church is the place in which the world finds life, and the place in which moral order is preserved. It's where the church finds life, or where the, the world finds life and life in Christ, and where the moral order is preserved. Ultimately, as I said, the application of this is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the church, the people of God, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have a responsibility to live Christ out in our day-to-day -day life. If you're a teacher, you have a responsibility to be Christ in your classroom, to be salt and light. You are to, to speak into the lives of those children so that they may find a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Mama, Daddy, you're to be a preserver of life in your home so that those children might find true eternal life in Jesus Christ. In the arena of politics and government, we are to be the ones who are speaking life into those arenas. We are to be the ones that are sharing the light and preserving what is right in the world around us. That's what we do. And he says here that, that you are the light of the world and like a city on a hilltop, you cannot be hidden. You should not be hidden. Uh, we are to be that city. We're never to cower, never to cover, and never to hide the light within us. We need to understand that when it comes to politics, we're to be the preservative of moral order, as I just said, the guide to genuine truth and righteousness, and we're to be God's voice into the world, a dark and sin-sick world. It's a responsibility. It's an opportunity, yes, but a responsibility. Something that we must do, that we cannot abdicate. The government does not redeem. Christ redeems. Jesus Christ and his church will redeem the government as he redeems the people who make up the government. Now, at this point, I've given you a lot of information. Now I'm going to offend everybody. Love those weeks when we get to do that, right? I mean, we, we, we come in here and, and so many of you have told me I like to have my toes stepped on every once in a while because I feel like I've really gone to church, right? Well, all right, this is for you this morning, okay? And it's for all of us, and we all need that every once in a while, don't we? We need to feel like we've been challenged, we've been stretched, that God has put his hand upon us and taught us something new and something that we're now responsible for. And so I'm just warning you for the rest of the time, that's what this is. We're going to have a time where we're all going to just offend one another, and it'll be fantastic. But the problem that we have today is not our elected officials. The problem that we have today has nothing to do with them in particular. The problem that we have today in this country is the people who are electing those officials. So you and I have to look in the mirror and we have to say these words. I have found the problem and the problem is me. I am it. I am a part of the problem. Too many in the church today have turned their backs on politics and a misguided notion 
that they're too heavenly minded to be concerned with political affairs. And the result is candidates who've never been touched by the salt, never, been, never seen the light, and have absolutely no idea of who Christ is. We need to understand something together. And I'm sticking closely to my notes this morning a little bit, okay? Because I want to say this right. We have remained quiet. And we have watched the, light, the White House lit up in rainbow colors celebrating gay marriage. We have kept quiet. And we have refused to be salt and light. And as a result of that... We have watched as our children are told that they must use restrooms and locker rooms with members of the opposite sex. We've been afraid of being called bigots and backwards and homophobes, and we've cowered in the corner only to watch our nation fly completely off the track, morally and otherwise. Jesus said, you're the salt. You're the preserver of moral truth. You are the vehicle through whom my Holy Spirit is going to communicate my will and my salvation to the world. And we live in a nation right now that has completely rejected Jesus Christ. But the fact remains that we as the church of Jesus Christ, we have cowered and hid our light under a bushel. We've been afraid. We've been scared of what people are going to think of us. And so we do not speak up for what is right and for what is true. We sit around and wonder, curious as to why are these people acting this way? Why would we expect lost men and women separated from the Spirit of God who are living according to the flesh to act any other way? And how can they ever change and be any different unless they hear the Spirit of God's call through our lips and His conviction upon their lives so that they might repent and be changed? Listen, we're not about changing behavior. What we are about is seeing the hearts of men and women change so their behavior changes. We are about heart change. We are the vehicle. We are the vessel of the Holy Spirit. We are the salt and light, yes. And the purpose of that, the purpose of seeing this, this communicated is so their lives can be changed. But we have been afraid of what people think of us. We've cowered down and been cowards. So soon we'll have a president of the United States who is either under investigation by the FBI or one who makes fun of disabled people from behind a microphone. Who are you going to vote for this fall? Let me tell you something. There is not a good candidate to vote for this fall. There's not. Some folks say, well, I'm going to vote for the libertarian candidate. Well, you're voting for someone who's pro-choice. Does not reflect Christian worldview or the things that we hold dear. You say, well, I'm, I'm going to vote for, for Donald Trump. Well, I don't even get started on that. I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. I don't even get started on it. You can watch the news. Listen. There is not a good candidate to vote for, and the reason there is not a good candidate to vote for this year is because the salt and light has gone on hiatus and taken a vacation. And we have, have not communicated Christ to the world to the point that we now have a nation so lost, so backwards, so turned upside down that Romans 1 might as well be today's front page of the newspaper where right is called wrong, wrong is called right, and everyone is just blind and following and groping after whatever they can find. Now, 
What does that mean for us now? What can we do? I heard one preacher say something the other day, and I'll get it wrong, but he said, you know, you need to stop complaining and talking about how bad things are. You're scaring the kids. You know, it's not all that bad. Let me just tell you. You can bury your head in the sand if you want to, preacher, but the facts are the facts. And we can raise up our head out of the sand and look around and take in what's real, and then we can start to talk about solutions, or we can just put our head back in the sand and pretend something's going to change and be different. But as I say, insanity is doing the same thing the same way over and over and over again and expecting different results. We have buried our hand, head in the sand so long and pretended that everything's going to be all right and that we could huddle down in our church and things just poof, be magically different for so long that to continue to do so would be just that, insanity, because we've seen what it has given us and it's never going to give us anything different. I'm going to propose to you four quick things that we can do as far as being salt and light. And then I'm going to leave you with a challenge today. Being salt and light in the political arena means, first of all, that we pray. Now, you would expect me to go there, and naturally I'm going to, all the time, go to prayer first. Because prayer is our connection to God, and it's how we pull God into the natural world, so to speak. So what we need to do is reach out and lay hold of God. And begin to pray and fast and pray and seek his face. We need to pray for our politicians. We need to pray for our political parties, pray over the platforms that they're going to, to adopt. We need to pray over these elections. We need to pray for the people who will be voting in these elections. We need to pray. We need to pray for revival in Christ's church so that we might actually be this salt and light in our own world personally and in the world at large. We need revival. We need God to move in a Holy Spirit, old-fashioned revival. When I say old-fashioned, I'm not talking about in Grandpa's day. I'm talking about in Pentecost. We need a new Pentecost today. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of the living God, and we need to get desperate for that. And until we get desperate for that, we're never going to see it because we think we can handle things on our own. We are so high and mighty and so full of ourselves today that God has no room to come in and act. And he won't do so until we get out of the way. He's too much of a gentleman to force himself upon us. We need to pray. We need to cry out. We need to seek the Lord. And we need to vote. So now he's going to tell us who to vote for. Now I am going to tell you who to vote for, as a matter of fact. Vote for Christians. And vote for people who have a Christian worldview. And if they don't, don't vote for them. Let me tell you something. You continue to vote for these pagan people, you're going to have a pagan government. It does not hold to your worldview, does not hold to the things that are important to you, does not hold to the things that are important to the heart of Christ. Listen, when these primaries roll around every four years, we ought to find the one who loves Jesus the most, give them money and vote for them and tell everybody we know to do the same. And we shouldn't be ashamed of doing so. These people will come out and say, well, you just want a theocracy. You know, it'd be fine if God wanted to do that, but that's not how God works today. We're not championing a theocracy. But what we're saying is, is that we're looking for someone who holds a Christian worldview, who seeks the Lord's face, someone who we know will every, every night when they go to bed fall on their knees beside their bed to seek the counsel of the God Most High, and every morning when they wake up 
Again, seek the counsel of God Most High, and in throughout their day and every decision they make, they will prayerfully make those decisions because they have a relationship with, love, seek, and know God Most High. So we vote for Christians. That's what we do. The third thing is that we speak up. How are you going to be salt and light in a world if you just keep your mouth shut all the time? Some folks think that God's just going to communicate through them via osmosis. I'm just going to sit next to someone. I'm just going to smile a lot. They're going to know I'm a Christian. And then after they know I'm a Christian, after a while, they're going to begin to ask me, why do you smile so much? I'll tell them I'm a Christian. So, well, I already knew that because you smiled so much. And then we're going to get into the gospel, right? Because they're going to ask me, well, how can I become a Christian? And then I'll say, well, then, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and so on and so forth. And, and, and I'll let them know this and they'll, they'll pray and receive Christ. And that's how we're going to be salt and light. Let me tell you, it doesn't work that way. And the church cannot sit in their walls on Sunday morning to themselves, worshiping here and saying these kinds of things in here, and then walk out those doors and keep quiet and expect through osmosis that anything is going to change in the political arena. We have to speak up and be bold about it. You know, when these moral issues come, when our leaders say stupid things, we need to call them on it. We need to say you're wrong. We need to say this is not of God. This violates the law of God. This violates the natural law. This violates God's definition of righteousness, what is right and wrong according to Him. And they will say, don't judge unless you be judged. And let me tell you something, <clears throat> that, that's their fall-to position most of the time in these conversations. And you can just go back to them and say this, I'm not judging you. God has already judged you. I'm just pronouncing to you what God has judged about you. I'm just letting you know as his mouthpiece, salt and light, in this world that we live in today, that he has judged what you're doing is wrong. It's not my judgment. It's his judgment. Someone says, well, what do you believe about abortion? It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I judge to be right and wrong. God has judged on this. That's all that matters. So let's talk about what he says, and I will accept what he says for me. It's not my judgment. It's his judgment. So what about living with your boyfriend? We really love each other. We're really committed together. It doesn't matter what I think. See, we've got to be the voice of God in these situations and stop thinking and that, that we're giving our opinion and that we have no right to give our opinion any more so than anyone else. It's not my opinion. My opinion wouldn't matter to you and shouldn't matter to you. I have great opinions. Some of them are better than others. I like Mexican food. That's my opinion. That's a great opinion. Amen. I, I like seafood. Some of you are not so, so excited about that one, right? Yeah, Marianne says not at all. Not at all. But I have opinions. I like seafood. I have opinions about food. I have opinions about sports. I have opinions about the weather. And that's great and fine and good. But when it comes to moral issues and it comes to righteousness, my opinion doesn't matter one little bit. What matters is what God has said and what his opinion is. 
And we've got to become a bold people to just simply say, as a matter of fact, look, and we don't get angry about this. So many times you see folks that are believers in Christ, they'll, they'll, they'll get angry as though God needs us to defend him. You dare offend my God? Well, come on. Let's do it. Me and you right now. I'm going to defend his honor. He doesn't need us to defend his honor. He doesn't need us to defend his opinion. He doesn't need us to defend what he says about right and wrong. All he needs is for us to be an obedient person, man or woman, to proclaim, to be salt, to be light, to be part of his revelation to a dark, sin-sick world. To say in love, the Lord says, the Lord says, God says, God's word says. And folks will come back and say, well, that's your interpretation of God's word. Well, let's take a look at it together. God says you shall not steal. Where is my interpretation in those words? Folks want to say that you have no right to judge. Folks want to say it's just your interpretation. Folks want to say it's just your opinion. Look. Those are the fall two positions of people who have rejected the truth of Christ. And what we need to do is just very boldly and plainly say, not angry, but in love, with compassion, God says this. It's very simple. It's black and white. He's made it very clear. So clear that a child can understand because he wants all of us to know what he says about right and wrong. We need to have a voice. So we need to pray, vote, have a voice. And the final thing today is I would say is that we need to actually practically be salt and light in the sense that we need to share the gospel of Christ. It's not enough just to say what's right and wrong. It's not enough to help people know how to vote. It's not enough for people to know which candidates are good and have a Christian worldview. Ultimately, there's going to be a day when this life is no more and we need to preach the gospel to them so that they can have a relationship with Christ and live with him forever. So many times folks become enamored with something like politics and it becomes the priority of their life. And they, they tend to buy in and it looks something like this. They tend to buy into uh, political parties and candidates and actions to the point that they, practically speaking, seem to think that salvation comes through the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or some other poli some politician somewhere. Reality is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father. No woman comes to the Father. No one has a relationship with God except through the person and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so while we are speaking into this arena of life and while we are speaking into this arena what truth is, we need to point people to the ultimate truth, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus loves us, and he loves us infinitely so. He has a tender heart towards each one of us. He wants a relationship with all of us. And ultimately, that's what it means to be salt and light. I had an uncle pass away last night. He's <clears throat> my dad's youngest brother. He's 56 years old, lived a very hard life. To my knowledge, never 
ever accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. I talked to him about the gospel a long time ago. I hadn't seen him in years and years and years. And he told me this. He said, I'm too bad, done too many things. There's no hope for me. I'm not going to even entertain the idea that I can be saved. Never got him past that. Never got him to move beyond that. And so last night I get word that he's passed away. Now, like most people, I can stand over his casket or look at his urn in this next week and, and say, you know, somehow, some way, God's going to make this work out and he's in heaven and he's in a better place and he's this and he's that. I have no hope for that. I have no consolation of that. breaks my heart. breaks my heart. A lot of great things to say about his life. A lot of not so great things to say about his life. That could be said of all of us, huh? And there are a lot of things that we could do to affect his life. We exchange Christmas gifts, make phone calls, tell people that we love them, do things for each other. And we can do a lot of things to help this nation and help this world and make it a better place for our kids to grow up and live. And we can, we can work through these arenas like we're talking about to be salt and light in a political arena. But ultimately what it really matters, ultimately at the end of life, what really matters is not who was in the White House, what form of government we lived under or even what country we lived in, it's what country we're going to. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death? Do you know right now that if you walked out of here today and you passed away, that you would pass from this life into eternal life? You see, we are all sinners, all of us. We have all offended God and we are all born enemies of God. But Jesus died on the cross to take upon himself all of our sins and the curse that was due us so that in his death and our faith in his death, that is, we believe and trust his death is effectual for us, that he took my sins upon himself, not just the world's sins, but my sins, not just my or the world's guilt, but my guilt, not just the world's curse, but my curse. If I believe and trust that is true and I give my life to him and receive his forgiveness, I can move into his kingdom. I can move into his family. I can have eternal life. And I can know that when I pass from this life in the United States of America or wherever I live at the time, I will pass from this life, this place, into his country, his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and life eternal in him. You see... We can pray, we can vote, we can be a voice, but ultimately we need to be the voice, the voice of salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. We need to let these people know this is important, but it's not eternally important. This is vital, but it's not eternally vital. What is important and vital etern with, the, with regard to eternity is your relationship or lack thereof with Jesus Christ. So ultimately... In the midst of this arena, as we talk, as we pray, as we seek God's will, we ultimately need to be, even here, sharing Christ. Sharing the gospel. Letting people know Jesus is the way to eternal life. Do you know Jesus this morning? In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. Some of you this morning may have been very, very convicted. God may have got all over you this morning. 
And the Spirit of God has, has helped you to understand how important it is to pray for our politicians, how important it is to pray over elections, how important it is to pray for those who will be going to the voting booth. God may have got all over you today and, and showed you how important it is to go ahead and speak what you believe to those around you. Some this morning God may have got a hold of today and you know that you need to begin to speak in love the truth. Because you haven't been very loving, very gentle, or very kind maybe in how you communicate things. We just love those people, don't we? We should. It's hard to, though. We've all got those friends on Facebook, right? A little crazy. But we need to love them. We need to be kind. We need to have a gentle word for them as we speak truth to them. And some this morning need to understand that just as we needed Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, all people need Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. So whatever God's convicted you of this morning, wherever your heart is, whatever God's doing in your life, we invite you to do business with Him. We invite you to come. We invite you to pray here at the altar. If you want to come talk to me, that's fine. You come, we'll discuss. If you want to join this church, come talk to me, we'll discuss it. But whatever God's calling you to do this morning, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Come talk to us. We would love to help you know how to do it. Let's stand together and let's pray.